Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SCS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in true crime. And uh, if you ever watched Sanford and Son, he was going to have Lamont was going to have the big one, and it happened just now. Uh, major malfunction on our end. So uh, apologies to everyone for the long delay. Back onto another system, and here we go. Uh, the elusive Danilo Cavacante captured on day fourteen. How did authorities get him? Did he say anything? And where does he go now? Uh, even though you guys waited twenty minutes for us to get this thing cranking uh sincere apologies we are uh, in motion now uh first best guest you know him well and so does the uh, nation now because he was all over cnn all morning long agent scott duffy he's the director of wilmington university's criminal justice institute he is a retired fbi supervisory special agent of the wilmington delaware office he worked violent crime matters gangs bank robberies and fugitive task force cases for 20 years before being promoted supervisor of the violent crime task force in Wilmington, Delaware. And for five and a half years prior to that, he was a police officer in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So he knows a lot of the people, uh, both the feds and state and local authorities that were working on the hunt for Danilo Cavacante. Then you've got Alfredo Perez, who's been with us before, uh, you see him there. He's actually coming to us from a Marshall conference. Imagine that as Danilo Cavacante uh, was captured. I could have used some of those guys. He is a former U.S. Deputy Marshal out of Houston. Uh, he's recently retired as of July. You can see the relaxation on that face, but he's still going to conferences. And uh, he's worked in tandem with our very own Detective Phil Waters. And last but not least, the man who, for the very first show, the very first time he was here for the big one, the big disaster, and uh, he seems to have survived it, Douglas McGregor. He is a forensic behavioral analyst and consultant. This is fascinating to me. We're going to ask Douglas what he does exactly. Specializing. He specializes in... In geographic profiling, we always hear about criminal profiling. Where, well, Doug McGregor is a geographic profiler, uh, as well as linkage analysis for violent crime and missing persons. He has a master's of science from Missouri State University. He resides in the Great White North in Ottawa, Canada, with his wife and two children. Uh, so, welcome uh, to one and all. Uh, Scott Duffy, you were all over the CNN cable news. What an unoriginal name, cable news network. Um, Ted Turner couldn't have come up with something better than that. Um, captured day 14. Uh, what a relief it was. People were saying, ask Scott about the goosebumps because Scott said he had them. How did you feel hearing that he was uh, in custody at last? That's what I had. It, it, you know, it's. For anybody that's been in the fugitive game, obviously, Alfredo, wow, it is uh, it is the thrill of the hunt. And so it's a couple of good ones here, in, especially in my career. This one I watched virtually. I couldn't be a part of it, but I had a few friends and there was some on the inside of it. And so you're getting just a little bit of uh, inside information. But ultimately, when it came down to it, I did get that text just about. I would say no more than 30 seconds or a minute before it started hitting the airwaves. And, uh, I could just, I could just, 
I could tell through that text that um, that it was a great capture. So yeah, I'm feeling it with the team. I feel like uh, like it's all family and and kudos to them. What just just what a multi joint te- uh, task force, just a bunch of great people that did this. Mm. Um, Alfredo, to all the haters out there, there's a lot of people, contrary to what um, Scott just said, who are like, oh, what took police? What took marshals? What took them 14 days? They should have gotten this guy in a day. Are they watching too many movies? And don't forget to unmute yourself there, Alfredo. Yeah. Sorry about all the noise in the background. I'm actually at the U.S. Marshals Museum that just opened up. So uh, the guys here are really nice about letting me uh, talk to you guys from the uh, the main room here. Um, Let's plug it. Where is where's the museum? Let's the, plug the, it. It's in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and it's the only freestanding federal law enforcement uh, museum. Nice. They just opened it two months ago, and they got a lot of really incredible uh, history, a lot of good music uh, exhibits here. Uh, you have a lot of historical it, uh, sites. It's right here on the on the bluffs of the uh, Arkansas River. So come out and see some uh, some good history here. That's all. Uh, By the way, is there a, a portrait of Alfredo Perez in that Marshall Museum? Yes or no? No, but there's video. Awesome. There's some video. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, By the way, there's a picture. We're looking at escape killer uh, Danilo Calvacante, who hopefully will never get that chance again. Uh, As you can see, 14 days on the road, uh, on the run, I should say, uh, and he's captured by an intense um, manhunt for him. He's wearing that Eagles sweatshirt. The governor, Josh Shapiro, today half joked that he was going to get him up. uh, whoever he stole it from, a brand new Eagles jersey. We know how that uh, football is in Philadelphia. They're they're savages when it comes to football, Scott Duffy. You know that. Um, Doug Doug McGregor, uh, to you, um, what do you do? This is fascinating to me. Before we even get into Danilo Cavalcante, what is a geo profiler? Sure. So I, I'm a behavioral analyst. But I look at the, the spatial, the temporal, the environmental, and the geographic elements of human behavior, um, specifically when it comes to crime, uh, offender behavior, crime scene analysis, and victimology. And, and I see, I couldn't find a photo of you anywhere without your dog. You do everything. What is your dog's name, male or female? How old? What kind of dog? And uh, are you closer with your dog than your wife and two kids? You can tell me. <laughs> Uh, I actually have three dogs, so I'm not sure which picture you pulled. Um, I have a, a husky, a, a pointer, and a, and a great Pyrenees. But um, the uh, the pointer and the husky, I've actually trained to track as a just a hobby on the side. So I have some appreciation for what the people were out there doing with the trackers with the canines. So so with Danilo Cavacante, this particular um, manhunt that just happened hypothetically it was still going on and hypothetically if they called doug mcgregor what would you do how would you start in your pursuit of this guy so when i look at fugitives uh escapees fugitives um i look at them as i look at them as humans with wants needs goals objectives fears uh, and I, I try to perceive them in that way, and I approach, I approach them as a missing person. Uh, 
because they are missing. They're missing from a prison. Um, everybody has their own approach to fugitives, every department, every law enforcement agent or officer. Uh, but that's how I approach it. So when I look at a fugitive, I, for me, there's basically three stages. And, uh, and it's not linear. It can be cyclical. Um, the first stage for a fugitive is, is survival. Um, there's no spatial element there necessarily. It's kind of get distance, uh, survive that initial, um, the, the initial search and basically get some, get some space and some time from the people that are looking for you. Uh, after that, they enter the, the, the resource kind of stage that they, uh, of their of their escape where they start to look for resources they start to look for people that will help them out um and then the final stage is the goal or the objective what is their objective is it just to flee the country is it to go live the high life and until they get caught again is it revenge i mean there could be any number of goals or objectives for the fugitive depending on the person themselves really fascinating never i'd never heard of uh geo profiling before pj's heart we love you joel and your new set just awesome don't have a stroke too late we wait all day for you uh followed here uh by that was confusing by tiff knox uh welcome to my life my life is very confusing uh scott duffy before we're, we still have to get to all the details and there are plenty to get to uh, michelle spore here does an escapee go back to Gen Pop with extra security, or will he be put in isolation for how long? Um, as far as I know, he is being processed, or was processed, or is still being processed at a Pennsylvania State Police Barracks. And then what, Scott Duffy? Yeah, so he's already en route if he's not already in place at his, um, at his next stop. He was processed, whatever happened at Avondale whether they uh, attempted an interview and he consented, I'm not sure. But there was um, a pretty good motorcade uh, with him in it uh, heading to a prison. So things will change. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do, but obviously they made a good move not to return him to the county prison. So he went to what I would believe is a maximum security within the state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has several throughout the state, and that's what happened. He was waiting for transport to serve out his life sentence and uh he managed to escape because if it is it is a lower security and so they did not return him there and all of this is going to play into a new package of whatever is going to happen with him there there are definitely going to be some protocols and i imagine his file is going to anybody who's able to view that file with regards to uh what are his abilities to to scope out his um, new digs? And I'm sure he'll start day one looking for any cracks in security and see if he can take a uh, take a gander. I don't see him. I don't see this being the last attempt for sure. Uh, good point. And uh, what's interesting, a criminal will will criminalize. Um, and what I've heard is that within all the uh, state penitentiaries, uh, there are areas for guys like Danilo Cavalcante that are much more secure within there. Uh, so I don't think he's going to be in Gen Pop, um, at least not for the foreseeable future. And uh, as you can see from the COE, he is en route uh, to the state prison where he's going to serve out his life sentence. And uh, Pennsylvania State Police today saying that um, 
they're going to look into new potential charges uh, against him. I was wearing my headsets till I realized the audio was coming off the computer. Um, so we're doing this all on the fly. And uh, that's good because uh, the headset was killing the top of my head. So there you go. Uh, STS Nation from Alabama got Canada in the house here to support Doug McGregor. Um, Sarah, Joel, you got this show together fast, not fast enough, but I appreciate that. Um, another one for the dogs. Um, Alfredo, it's interesting at the end of the day. And I think we talked about this last time over 500 police officers, uh, different, I shouldn't say police officers, 500 members of law enforcement. You had the U S marshals, uh, you had border patrol, you had all these other guys, um, there, but at the end of the day, uh, they unleashed a working dog that nabbed uh, this guy and uh, you saw some blood. Well, that dog latched onto him. And uh, how important are those dogs, Alfredo? Uh, really important. I mean, they, they save lives. Uh, we, the last time we talked, we talked about border patrol, uh, you know, the CBP, those guys are experts at tracking experts at tracking at night. Uh, this is what they do every day. They track people every day in their home uh, districts. So for them to come up and do this in the woods, all they needed was an area. And they got the area once the burglar alarm was tripped off. Once the, the helicopter said, hey, I got a heat signature here. That's what they do. They work off of that type of information every day back in their districts. And then to top it off, they, they, they made a, a, a small perimeter had the dog go do what he does best and uh he went and got him and and put yourself in this guy's shoes this this little angry person that's a killer he's hiding he's scared he can hear people walking through the brush and all of a sudden out of nowhere because he can't see and he can't hear this dog this thing just starts putting some pain on him and he probably starts screaming and yelling and uh of course that gives up your position to the uh, to the good guys and they went in there and and safely took them into custody but it's really important for those dogs uh, to work with with other handlers and, and and other teams because they know what to do and they won't give up until they got their guy in custody that's dogs are so important to our military law enforcement uh, search and rescue uh, even they they can even smell a, a, a seizure before it happens. So I'm so proud of these dogs. Yeah, and uh, it was Canine Yoda apparently that uh, did did what he had to do. Uh, so shout out to Yoda. Uh, we're a big dog-friendly uh, show here, so happy to hear that. Um, Doug, to you, I know you have tracking dogs, but I, I heard interest. You know, it's interesting the way they train these dogs, and I don't know how much you know, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Apparently they don't you know, bite and then release and then bite again to minimize damage. But once it was, uh, the, the Lieutenant Colonel said it was a, either a German Shepherd or a Belgian Malinois. I'm sure we know by now, but I have not seen, uh, what Yoda is. Uh, but once they, uh, latch down with that jaw, they just don't release. Is that right, Doug? Until they're told to. Honestly, I'd have to defer to the other, to the other guys on this question. So, uh, I mean, my experience just comes from doing it personally and uh and training uh scent dogs so and scent dog. yeah. okay uh alfredo to you uh what what is the training on these dogs they don't bite and rebite right they're just going in there and grabbing the uh 
whoever uh, no we, we they're, they're trained to grab and hold uh, you have a bark and hold command and some some police agencies use that you know because they want the dog to, to go up there and bark and, and not bite but most uh, agencies like the, the 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 pursue and hold where they the dog will latch on to the leg to the arm whatever uh, body part is is presented to them and they will just hold them because if they let go and then reattach the during the training if if the dog lets go then the, the decoy will run away and just and just not give him the reward of biting so the dog learns I have you probably had a pet dog and you're playing fetch with him he doesn't want to let go of the ball because he knows he's going to lose the ball so that's how they basically train them so and then when they get re- when they get utilized in a real way they will bite and they will hold because they don't want to give up that bite it, it's a it's a it's a game to them that's all it is they're not mean they're not doing it out of meanness they're doing it because they like doing it hmm. um Tolly here, and I think we have a photo that I'm going to bring up in a second. Uh, Scott, to you, what are your thoughts? We haven't even gotten to the details of the capture yet, but the questions are coming in rapid fire. What are your thoughts on the photo op? I knew this was going to happen. The minute um, I saw this happening, I said the media is going to uh, jump on it, and there's the shot. Um, and the media at the press conference <coughs> said, is it inappropriate? Um, Scott Duffy these are guys that were working around the clock for 14 days. And you can see Danilo Calvacante in the middle of that with a couple of working dogs. Do you have an issue? Cause they asked Lieutenant Colonel Bevins who said he had absolutely no problem. Do you have an issue with some of your friends who are working this and uh, the rest of these law enforcement officers taking a photo at the end, uh, sort of as a prized possession. Do you have an issue with that Scott? I don't have an issue whatsoever. I think this is fantastic. This is something that they're going to be able to have. They're, they're, they're going to be able to pass it down to generations. This is, this is a big capture. This, this was an international news event. And this is something that I can easily see going into that uh, museum that Alfredo was in. So, you know, the, um, we, we've kind of been taught, at least I've been taught in, my academies and different departments that, uh, hey, you, you back off social media, you back off the pictures, et cetera, et cetera. And those were the early days. And there's still a lot of good thought to that with regards to evidence and what and, and um, this commingling of your personal life along with what you capture. But here, and especially in this day and age, and especially after long 14 days, each and every one of those great men and women put their lives on the line, especially when you hear that a gun and ammunition is seized and shots were fired from a resident and he still flees into the woods and nobody's scattering. They're just getting, they're getting tighter. And uh, so for, for him to be caught, for him to be caught without what could have easily, without that canine, absolutely, um, it'd be a different story. I don't think... I don't think he would be um, he would be posing for a photo. It would be a lot worse because, for all intents purposes, he was still looking to escape. Even when he knew the end was coming, he did not show, uh, uh, throw up his hands, throw the weapon away, and make himself prone. He was actively 
uh, escaping. And so for the, the, these officers to be able to take a photo, I say kudos. It's a great thing. I think the community will be in support of them. At the end of the day, it's going to be something that they're going to be able to pass on and say, I was a part of this capture. Oh, th- this was a tremendous community um, under siege, different communities within that county. And uh, they're all ecstatic. And I, and for for Donnell to remain there, you have other officers that were able to rush and, and put eyes on him. So th- this is a way of giving to law enforcement a moment, their moment to be able to say, thank you for all your hard work, leaving your families day and night. And uh, this is why, this is why we do what we do. So it's it's a good thing. Mm. Um, to you, uh, Doug McGregor, um, did you expect this? We talked about this the other day. Did you expect this to end the way it did? Most people thought this guy was going down in a hail of bullets. Um, are you surprised by the uh, outcome? Uh, I I thought it could go either way. Um, I mean, there was good points made for both sides. You know, he did, he did steal a, a firearm, a rifle, which means he's prepared to defend himself. And, uh, and you know, when you, when you back an animal into a corner, you never know what's going to happen. So, uh, it, it, it was tough to say. I, I don't think that, I think that he had an objective. He had a goal here and it wasn't to die. It was to keep moving forward. But, uh, you know, and that goes into into my profile and the and the activity space I I built for him. Um, but law enforcement, all the agents and officers, the men and women, they did such a great job that they that they prevented him from doing that, uh, and they eventually made it impossible. Um, but you know, he he like I said, he had a goal. He eventually moved north to a place he was familiar with, into the Phoenixville and uh, and the um, into the Phoenixville and the East Pikeland area. Uh, he tried to, as I mentioned earlier, he tried to get resources and he tried to make contacts. Uh, it didn't, it didn't work out for him. Law enforcement finally, you know, closed in on that area and forced him out. Uh, he, he then traveled West and the, he didn't travel West arbitrarily the like the the vehicle dump site itself was was picked beforehand for him um and i mean and that goes back to you know one of the things when i look at when i create a pro- profile is uh i do a social network analysis and when you're looking at a criminal you're looking at who he's been involved with in the past and obviously two names come up right away the two that helped him escape after killing his ex-girlfriend uh and so those were the two that I primarily primarily looked at, um, and and where he where he left the vehicle, that property was owned by the father of one of them. So he continued to have this objective, this goal of moving forward, and he may have continued to move west. Um, I, I say there's a possibility it could have been towards Youngstown, Ohio, uh, where that person all had additional family, additional properties under that name. So uh, I think that eventually law enforcement just cornered him and stopped his progress. And, uh, but you know, he, he gave him, he, I'm not sure if he gave himself up or he just didn't have time to react violently, but, uh, it, it was, it was a good outcome in the end. 
um, to that point, I think that um, just getting to the details of this real quick uh, about whether he gave up, I think he wanted to, uh, he was actively, as Scott said, escaping uh, when they surrounded him real quickly. Um, so uh, it, the capture happened around 8 a.m. this morning. Uh, you can see here he's in some sort of hospital gown. Uh, his feet are shackled there. These are some of the latest photos. And you see what a tiny guy he is, but he's nimble because he was able to um, climb and shimmy up that uh, prison wall to get out. Of course, he was seen uh, wearing that Eagle sweatshirt that we saw a little while ago. And he looked very dirty, tired, hair matted. Uh, you can see it there. Uh, that's what happens when you don't brush your hair for 14 days and you're living in the dirt. Also, he had a tattoo on his back. Uh, and an officer uh, behind him was actually carrying, you can see it, right behind him. Um, Officers, there you see the rifle right there with this with a light on it. That looks like a Coke can, I believe, and uh, that is the light on top of the uh, rifle uh, that they were able to uh, get uh, from him. Um, he was apparently sleeping on top of the rifle, was in some sort of state of rest. Uh, Scott Duffy, when they quietly came upon him, they had him circled within this you know, well within the perimeter that they were working. So they were in the right spot. They circle him, and that's when the dog uh, was released. Tactically, Scott Duffy, um, are these guys trained? I mean, because any kind of brush against a bush, um, some uh, uh, a long arm from one of the law enforcement officers hitting a tree, uh, that could alert him because they got him while he was kind of quiet. How are people tactically trained as they're about to apprehend a guy like this in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, it, it unfolds very fast once they have eyes and once they've made a decision. And they, and these are all contingent plans. You have these these contingencies. This is what we're going to do if we see this or come across that. So they knew exactly what they were going to do when they came across the information from the skies. And, hey, this is probably uh, our best bet. And once they confirmed on the ground that this is our fugitive, this is not somebody who's who's laying in wait, doing whatever, this is our fugitive. And so th there, was, there wasn't any time to, uh, to consider a plan. That plan was already put in place because that's what they do. They trade, train day in, day out. And uh, multiple agencies have these very, very elite uh, units, and, and they train, train, train. So they have every contingency planned for it. They train for it. And it's like just pulling out a um, three by five card, a file out of your head. Everybody's on the same page. And once whatever that command was given, it, it, it was a go. So and, and with regards to from, from what I've gathered from from the press and what I've heard that, you know, he, he was he was bitten in the head because uh, he was in a prone position. And as Alfredo said, you know, these dogs are trained. To, uh, to grab a hold of whatever it is that is most likely going to do harm to somebody. So if you have your gun, you're on top of that gun and you're moving with that gun. Just imagine if you are this way and you have the gun anywhere like this, that dog is just going to just going to pounce where it can and where it can see it can do the most effective stop. And, and then, of course, you have uh, the tremendous amount of that uh, that tactical team that did exactly what they did. It, it was, um, it, it, I'm sure it was amazing to have seen unfold and unfold very quickly, but they do. That's they absolutely trained for it. And, and, uh, I imagine it was precision.
uh, Wendy B, those law enforcement officers deserve that photo, that photo op we talked about. I support it. Uh, so do I, but no one cares about my opinion. Um, to you, Alfredo, um, just talking tactically again, as they closed in on him, um, he did apparently put up a fight. He was on top of that rifle of his when they, when he saw, uh, the Leo's, he started to try to make a run for it, according to the lieutenant colonel in charge of the investigation, um, through some like thick brush. Um, but they were able to get him. And he also resisted the dog. Um, how dare he? But uh, he resisted the dog. Um, how important is the element of surprise, Alfredo? When you guys train, do uh, you try to surprise these people that you're manhunting? Yeah. The really important thing to do is just... Um, so there's an old saying, speed, surprise, violence of action. Those three things will render any uh, situation safe. You, you go in there with speed, you go there in surprise, and you go in there very, very violently. Uh, when, if you get all three of those, the person, you catch the bad guy back on his heels, and he may be a killer. He is going to say, I'm going to kill every cop that even tries to come. But if you catch them back on their heels, they are so surprised for at least one or two seconds before they start thinking, all right, and now i got to kill again. By that time, it's too late. And that's ex exactly what happened here. He was probably exhausted. He heard the thunder, the lightning. He's like, it's going to rain. Let me get somewhere where there's thick, thick brush so I can get out of the, the elements, uh, get some shelter in. And, uh, you know, our guys already had the heat signature. They were closing in. Like I said, these Border Patrol guys, they, they track people. They track every day. And they train for this every day, so they know how to do this. They are the best trackers in the world, all right? So you have these guys, and they're just waiting for the opportunity. Once it clears up, dog's giving an alert. Dog knows what to do. Surprises them. They go in there, and they grab him. Of course, he's going to fight. He's going to resist in any way. He's probably trying to go for the gun. But these guys are so professional that they know they have everything under control. They have the night vision. They have the equipment. They have the tactics. And uh, this guy is really lucky that he had professionals going after him because he'd be dead. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe in a different country, not Canada, but a different country, different set of circumstances. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yep. this, this guy might have been uh, dead. Um, Iris Hewlett said, uh, and Doug, this is for you. Had the dog not attacked him, in my opinion, he would have fired that stolen rifle. Uh, you're a man that profiles and studies behavior. Do um, you think he would have? He was starting to get scrappy, uh, according to all reports. He was starting to try to get away. If that dog didn't latch onto him, you think he would have uh, pulled the trigger there? Yeah, I think his behavior would have changed. His behavior was survival. And to and to get away, you know, and to not get caught. That was his goal. But, you know, he had he had the rifle for I mean, he probably had the rifle initially in order to, you know, keep moving forward with his objective. It might have been to steal a car, to steal from a house, to protect himself. He probably didn't. The, the initial idea of having the rifle probably wasn't to do a last stand. I mean, it could have been. But in, in my opinion, it probably wasn't. It was probably to, you know, keep moving forward with uh, with what he wanted to do. Um, but yeah, once the once he the once the dog, you know, got onto him, he he knows that the officers, the agents are 
are two steps behind. So at, at that point, that behavior can quickly, quickly change. And then he can just go into, you know, fight mode, survival mode, and it, it can all go downhill from there. And Doug, follow up question. I asked this the other night. I'm curious about this. A guy like him on the run for 14 days, do you think he devised a strategy along the way? Uh, do you think he had something? Um, obviously, law enforcement had a strategy, you know, squeezing the perimeter. But in his mind, is he sophisticated enough, uh, this 34-year-old uh, fugitive, that he was actually planning stuff in his head? Because you, you mentioned something about Ohio. Uh, did he have a bigger game plan in mind, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his 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 plan, his strategy was there before before he left the prison. You know, to think on the run under that much stress is is very difficult. And the number of fugitives that are caught in the first hours or days and they just haven't done anything is, you know, is uh, uh, many of them fall to that fate. So he, he had a plan. And, you know, his plan was to go back to uh, fugitives. It, uh, they, like I said, a lot of them have different goals and objectives, but a lot of them have, in the end, they go home. And home I use in quotations, I use loosely, and home is different for everybody. Home could be an area, an environment for him. He went back to the Phoenixville area. That was home. That's where he was familiar. We all want to go where we're familiar right? The area we know, we know, we, we, we know where we go and we go where we know. Um, for some fugitives home is, you know, their, their, their criminal organization, their gang members. It could be family. It could, like I said, it could just be a, a, a place. Um, but, uh, you know, that's where it, it's hard to survive and to last if you don't know your surroundings and you don't know where to find resources, shelter, transportation, food um, for survival, you know, that's, uh, you know, we all know that. So he, he had the plan to go there first, do what he could do from there. You know, he, he traveled and I, I don't know where he was going from there. And like I said, he had, he had two former accomplices there for, you know, Francisco Lima and, and uh, Michael Scahill. And, they were both given immunity when they testified against him after helping him escape uh, after he killed his ex-girlfriend. And uh, so they didn't go to prison. So they were out, they were available to assist. Um, and, but after that, after he went to that Phoenixville East Pikeland area, the, there's, he had to, eventually he had to leave that area. And cause law enforcement knew he was from there. They knew he was going there. So where's he going to go? Well, after he killed his ex-girlfriend, he went to Virginia uh, Francisco's brother lives in Virginia. Maybe he was going there. Um, you know, it's probably lucky for him that he never arrived and got caught before that. Uh, and then Michael, uh, Scahill his, uh, he, he's from, uh, Youngstown, Ohio, and he's got family and property there. And, you know, he already used one of his properties, his dad's property. His dad is also named Michael Scahill to, to get rid of the van. Um, and so there's a possibility he's already traveling West. He could be going West again. And I don't, I'm not trying to implicate Michael Scahill. He may have had no idea or no contact with, uh, with, uh, the fugitive at all. He, but, but he, uh, he knew 
that location and he was familiar with it. So maybe he had stayed at that place. He had visited that house before, um, but he was, he was, he was comfortable traveling that direction. So yes, I think uh, that he did have this plan and it may have been, it may have had a lot of holes in it, but I think he had a plan set out before he left. Mm. Uh, Scott Tuffy, a question I've been waiting to ask all day long of you, and I'm going to ask it right now. Why, before putting him in the SWAT vehicle, once they apprehended him, did they cut with scissors his shirt off before putting him in there? Was that to check tattoos and stuff? He has a big tattoo on his back, make sure he's properly identified, or did they just want to ruin uh, his shirt that was underneath that uh, Eagle sweatshirt? Yeah, it's probably a Dallas fan. That's what I'm thinking. It's uh, the um, so I think I think three reasons. First and foremost, that they know who this guy is. Um, I don't. I didn't see if anything was brought, but we have these devices, and I imagine all the federal agents have the uh, uh, where you can quickly do a um, a uh, fingerprint right portable right on your phone. That's it. It's 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 uh, pretty quick to come back and say this is your guy. But with regards to cutting off, first of all, they, they got to cut it off because they're not going to they're not going to um, uh, take the handcuffs off to get his clothes off and so forth. That, because now they're just putting themselves in a more vulnerable position. Cut it off. First and foremost, check that he has no more weapons. Make sure he is going to be searched as 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 anybody can be searched then and there. So you're going to do uh, you're going to cut the clothing off, ensure that there's no weapons hidden anywhere on around in his body. They're also making sure that there's no additional visible wounds, whether it be from from his 14 days on the lamb or perhaps by uh, the canine that the uh, EMTs, EMS paramedics need to to address rather quickly. And, uh, and then ultimately, because, you know, we did see that tattoo, they knew there were identifying tattoos. Why not go ahead and, and ensure that they have all the above checked out. So that's, that's why they're, uh, they're cutting that clothing off and, and, uh, before he gets put in, uh, to a secure location. Mm. Uh, to you, Alfredo, about the thermal image here, um, and then we can, uh, I'm gonna remove the comment here. So just, just before we get to the thermal image, um, the uh, head of the PA state police running this investigation said that Cavacante did not have time to fire the weapon. Uh, They're working, obviously, in this northern part of Chester County, the northern point of uh, Pennsylvania there. Uh, and he said events started to unfold after midnight. People have been scanner hounds during this whole thing. A burglar alarm went off. And uh, they went to that home, sent resources there because obviously there were plenty. And there's the new mugshot right now, Danilo Cavacante's new mugshot. Uh, you can see he's cleaned up a bit um, and his hair is braided. We're going to ask about that, too. Um, he's going to be in that uh, prison for the rest of his life. And uh, we have sound from the state police, which we'll take in a minute. I uh, just want to run through this. So the burglar alarm went off um, and they sent resources into that area and then they put up um, a fixed wing aircraft, not a helicopter, but an actual fixed wing aircraft using FLIR. So, um, Alfredo, what is that? Uh, for those who don't know what FLIR is, it's thermal imaging. And uh, why hadn't they used it prior? I know the weather was kind of bad, but what's your take? <clears throat> so it's the, the FLIR stands for forward-looking infrared radar, infrared. So, uh, so there's different FLIRs. You have handheld FLIRs that can kind of see through 
light brush or in into an open field, uh, then you have a little bit. There's different depths of of uh, sophistication with these flares. Uh, if you have one that's mounted on a helicopter, it's not. Uh, it's still a million dollar camera, but it's not going to penetrate uh, a double canopy or even a, a single canopy of trees. The fixed wing uh, airplanes probably have a little bit higher quality of a, of a FLIR, maybe you know where they, you can see through double, triple canopy, uh, and, and that's probably what they they used. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a, a fixed wing can't stay up in it, or a rotary wing can't stay up in the air as long as a, a fixed wing. Uh, but the fixed wing can't land anywhere, so it has to find somewhere to land and then come back. So there's trade-offs on what type of uh, aircraft you should use. Uh, but in this case, they already they had an area that they knew where he was going to be in, and put the put the aircraft in the air with the with a little bit stronger flare, got the heat signature, set up a good perimeter, and you know who's your daddy now. Mm. There you go. Um, the COE, if we have the sound uh, from Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens, let's roll it. Let me try that again. You have that there, COE? Let me see if it's in here. Let me see. Utilizing uh, FLIR technology and... Um, close to 1 a.m. picked up a heat signal that they began to track it was west of PA 100 and north of Prizer Road and shortly after 8 a.m. tactical teams converged on the area where the uh, heat source was they were able to move in very quietly they had the element of surprise Cavalcante did not realize he was surrounded until that had occurred that did not stop him from trying to escape. He began to crawl through thick underbrush, taking his rifle with him as he went. Customs and Border Control teams, BORTAC, uh, had a dog with them. They released the dog. Some of our PSP CERT members were also there, had him surrounded. The dog sub subdued him, and team members from both of those teams immediately moved in. He continued to resist but was uh, forcibly taken into custody. No one was injured as a result of that. Excuse me. He did sustain uh, a minor bite wound. Cavalcante was, as I said, taken into custody. He was transported to our Avondale station for further processing and interview, and he will ultimately be transferred to a state correctional institute where he will be housed and begin to serve his life sentence. Uh, Doug McGregor, to you on that one, um, what what stood out to you about what Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens just said there? Uh, it, you know, he just, just he's using the environment he has. You know, he's, he's hiding, he's uh, trying to outlast. He, you know, he was probably just trying to, to hide it out and wait. Uh, you know, when... I I find that when a fugitive is in a perimeter like that, and the perimeter, like I mean, we there was the perimeter moved several times during this during the last 14, 13, 14 days, and if a fugitive stays long enough in a perimeter without being caught, 
it, it can eventually start to cast, cast doubt on whether he's still in that perimeter, right? And so eventually there's some pressure that gets put on law enforcement to, you know, make that assessment. And do we have to move? Do we have to change things? So, you know, it, I, I've never... I've never been in a situation with law enforcement where I've been involved in a perimeter like that, but, you know, outlasting and hiding is, uh, from an offender standpoint is, is one, uh, is obviously one option. If, if you don't have any, any path to take any route out. Uh, Elf, who is a friend of the show here with a super sticker. Thank you. Uh, Scott Duffy, uh, this is your jurisdiction, I believe. Uh, will the person that had this sawed-off rifle, as an old man, that the perpetrator stole be charged because it is an illegal weapon in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Probably bigger fish to fry. Will he be uh, reprimanded or just ign ignored for that and given his rifle back? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what type of rifle that was, Alfred. If you know, I didn't. I don't. I, I just couldn't see it enough to see if it was a sawed-off or anything. It looked like it was just um, uh, a well-equipped rifle. So aside from the, the I, I guess the, the comment is, will the individual be charged? Not, not Danette. Correct, but correct. It was, I think it was an 80-year-old man, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I absolutely not. Not going to happen. Um Gigi here, we are a dog-friendly show. Uh, the dog is the real hero, of course. Um, so just some more details to hash out, and we get, uh, I'm putting some questions in a queue that are good. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens once again said that he was all proned out, laying on the ground. Uh, that's when this DA fixed, it was from the uh, DEA, uh, this fixed-wing aircraft with the FLIR uh, caught him. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens also said, I'm I was confident all along he'd be captured. It's never easy to find someone who doesn't want to be found in a very large area. And speaking of large, there was a comment here that I just lost, Alfredo. Uh, and I've seen it more than once. People saying, I can't believe a guy that's this little could cause that much trouble. I'm sure you've seen that before. So uh, size doesn't matter when it comes to uh, creating headaches for law enforcement, does it? Nope. Uh, we had another little five-foot guy, Elber Vasquez. Uh, he, he he evaded us for three years. Finally found him in Mexico. Uh, arrested probably 50 people looking for him. And he was, he was just a little killer, you know. Uh, he was a coyote, and he would just kill innocent uh, people that he would uh, bring across. So, uh, yeah. It, size doesn't matter at all. You could be six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds, or five foot, hundred twenty pounds. You're still a killer. I love it. I love Alfredo's uh, take on all this. Sandro Oliveira says, "This is Brazil's fault. I'm Brazilian, and our country is corrupt. In a place with no law, max sentence there is thirty years. And if they had arrested him for his first murder." Uh, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, he did escape, in fairness to Brazil. From what I understand, he escaped as a fugitive. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's definitely some uh, issues going on here that I sh I'm sure are going to be uh, looked at. Um, Scott Duffy, back to you on this. This warmed my heart. Again, Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens said in this press conference um, that yesterday, to show the support for law enforcement, a bunch of third graders 
Uh, I don't think they showed up because school was closed, but they had their teacher or someone drop off letters to the command center encouraging law enforcement. Uh, This is a very minor part of the story, but let's say you're working a case for uh, two weeks straight as an FBI agent and uh, you get unsolicited mail from a bunch of third graders. What does that do to your heart and your motivation? It just confirms everything, Joel. I mean, it's uh, the, it's a community. The community wants you. The community wants you there. They love it that you are absolutely doing everything in your power to to put this person back where they belong and get them out of their community because they're they're all they're all on edge. I mean, just think of day and night. Think of the residents in perimeters not sleeping well because they're not they're not sure this guy's gonna uh, break into their home. So to have, you know, and there was a lot of uh, um, extensions like that, of, of cards and people coming out, providing water, food, whatever, whatever they could do to help the uh, the men and women in uniform, just, you know, that just think about it. You're, you're on a perimeter. You're on surveillance, whatever your shift is, 8, 10, 12 plus hours. And... Um, you don't have the luxury of taking a bathroom break, a water break, a food break. Yes, you 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 figure that out, but you have to supplement with somebody else coming in. So that's a that's a high alert, and that causes a lot of stress and anxiety. And so when you see something, especially from a third grader, and I would imagine most of them are parents, that uh, a third grader saying, "Hey, we're looking out for you, and we're praying for you, and doing whatever," that that just absolutely reinvigorates you gives you that extra shot in the arm especially if you're you know starting to wear thin on patience and and whatever but uh, that definitely just reinvigorates you so scott duffy as a reporter in new york city third graders would tell me to f off that's all i got literally uh you know i get the expletives but that's new york city so and i expect and i loved it that motivated me um ashley first ever look at this a super sticker for Scott Duffy's soul patch. It's incredible. Um, Scott, I'm going to put 10 bucks in the mail. I'm going to send it to you. That's yours. <laughs> That's 10 bucks. Um, K the Geeky Angel says, I worked at the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. You must know Phil Ramos, who's a best guest. Guy was a detective for over 30 years, a homicide detective, crazy stories. Uh, and K the Geeky Angel says, went to the canine trial competitions every year in Las Vegas. These dogs are phenomenally well-trained to catch the bad guy. I would love to go to that. Uh, K the Geeky Angel, email me, survivingthesurvivor at gmail.com. I'm going to bring Scott Duffy. I want to see these dogs in action. I think I said it on the last show when I was a cub reporter in Tucson, Arizona. They, uh, the U.S. Air Force dressed me up in one of those big Gumby-like outfits and threw me in the middle of a field. And uh, those dogs got me. And it was, um, it was scary. It hurt. And they thought it would be funny um, if they moved the bite around to my groin area. Uh, and they did that, and that was um, it was very scary. It was not a pleasant feeling at all. Uh, Doug, to you, back to this Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens. By the way, shout out to him. Always drives me. This is a personal pet peeve, but the governor, of course, is the uh, face of the press conference uh, when he was sitting in his office and flew out there by helicopter when the Scott Duffies and the Alfredo Lopez's of the world are the ones putting their life on the line. But that's uh, America. The governor shows up. Um no, I'll stop right there. I was going to say something else that'll get me in trouble. Um, to you, Doug, 
Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens was saying that the normal pattern was to travel late evening, late in the evening and lay low during the day. Um, this goes back to what I was kind of asking you for, about earlier. Strategy wise, I mean, he was kind of smart, right? Like during the day, he was, I mean, laying extremely low. What do you think he was doing? What do you think he was doing for, for food and water? They're going to try to talk to him through a Portuguese translator, but you know, what was the method uh, behind all this madness? Yeah, uh, you know, it's just, it, during the day, there's just more human surveillance, natural surveillance, um, and, and technical surveillance. You know, CCTV, uh, a lot of it just works better during the day. Um, so, you know, and during the day, it, you're also, it, it's easier, it's easier to search. Um, you know, he's he spent a lot of the time in in the deep woods marshy areas wooded areas um and that is very hard to traverse at night for anybody you're just stumbling over everything running into twigs you know tripping on roots uh you know i'm which is why it's not surprising that he was picked up on some trail cams i mean even animals know this animals there's, there's a reason there's trail cams because animals use trails animals don't like you to walk through the deep woods either um so, you know, during the day, he, uh, he's obviously at risk of being seen from a greater distance. Um, you know, visibility, you can look, see a lot further. So, you know, his option is to move at night. And especially if you're trying to break a perimeter, you know, perimeters can be, I mean, this one, the, the, the last one they had set up there, it seemed to be fantastic from everything I saw that I was following online. Um, but, you know, any perimeter can be broken. You know, it just takes looking the wrong direction at the wrong time, you know, so his his best his best chance of getting out of those perimeters of moving without being seen is obviously at night where he's just cloaked by the darkness. Um, and uh, and so, you know, that's probably what he was thinking. And, and like you said, laying low during the day, resting during the day in terms of food and water, probably just taking what he can get. I. I heard he stole some fruits or vegetables from the one guy's house um, until he can get some, some space and some time uh, where he can, he can search those things without being stressed. Mm. Uh, Iris Hewlett, John Muffler, who's a best guest, who's actually going to come on today, but he's traveling. Uh, he's a former U S Marshal. Alfredo, do you know John Muffler? It's a small world. It is a small world. I don't think I, I don't think I recognize the name. But then again, I'm not, you know, all over the place either. But I'm gonna have, to, I'm gonna have to get going. So if there's something I can answer real quick, um, um, they're closing up the, the museum right now, and uh, I'm, I'm right in front of the Hall of Honor. You know, I love it. I love it. Uh, shout so, out to you. Shout out to the uh, U.S. Marshall Museum. Where is it once again? It's in Fort Smith, Arkansas. It's on, on the on the bluffs of the banks of the, the Fort uh, Arkansas River. So uh, they have a lot of if you're a history buff, this is a great area to come. They have many small museums. And uh, this is the this is the home of the hanging judge, Isaac Parker. If you've seen the uh, True Grit movies, mm. that's kind of a it's based on a true uh deputy marshal and a, and a true judge and that was here in fort smith arkansas well alfredo you my friend are an american hero you served uh, the nation in the military as a marshal uh, how are you feeling on a day that your uh, brotherhood your brothers and sisters in the marshal service helped nab this guy i'm, I'm proud of everybody 
that worked on this case. And law enforcement has come so far from 20 years ago when you'd have individual agencies they're asked they're they want to go get the guy they want to go get this guy and they want to take credit for it nowadays everybody works together nobody cares who grabs them they just want them say they just want to grab them safely and have everybody takes credit for it so kudos to everybody especially the dog yoda love it alfredo hopefully you're going to come back real soon i appreciate it travel safely you got it thanks a lot bye guys down to three of us. Um, Scott Duffy, to you, um, I heard you uh, bright and early on uh, the CNN today. What a terrible name, the Cable News Network. Imagine you're starting a TV station. This is a problem with traditional media. You're starting a TV network, and you're having a meeting, like a branding and marketing meeting, and some guy raises his hand and he goes, uh, Mr. Turner, I think a good name for this whole network, this global brand, would be the Cable News. I've never thought about it till right now. The Cable News Network. That's like if I called my studio the studio. Um, Scott Duffy, it's it's insane that that happened. Um, but I, I was listening to you on CNN today, and you were asked – what question would you ask of, of law enforcement right now? And your answer was, what did he say when he was captured? Why are you so intrigued by that? I, I don't know why I'd be intrigued. I just want to know like what his words were, like you got me or something, because it's just going to be a spontaneous utterance. And those spontaneous utterance are so important. They're just, you know, just as law enforcement had 14 days of trying to find this get this guy, this guy had 14 days of trying to stay out. So he's got a lot of pent up whatever. And, um, he survived. He should be thankful. He should survived. And, uh, I'm sure something came out in whatever language I I would imagine something came out. And that that would have been my question because I think it would have been interesting at at the very least. Uh, Look at this. The fan base is growing. Janine K loves Scott, uh, followed by Scott looks extra great Scott tonight. Uh, For those who don't know, Friday's show is called Great Scott to True Crime Phil. I just hope the wife isn't watching. Uh, Doug McGregor, you're going to come back on this show and you're going to get uh, a lot of heart emojis. But what do you think is going on? Um, you're the you're the profiler. You're the behavioral guy. What do you think is going on in Danilo Cavalcante's mind right now as he sits his ass back in a uh, maximum security state prison? I think he's he's probably relieved in, in a sense. You know, he's probably. He'll, he'll second guess or he's upset that he got caught and, you know, he, he obviously didn't want to go back to prison. He doesn't want to serve a life sentence, but I mean, being out there for what day are we on? 14, 14 days, you know, in the wilderness, getting no sleep. And that's one thing that law enforcement in these situations try to do is they, they just try to stress you out. You know, they search day and night I mean, one, one goal of that is to just stress you out. Um, so you can't sleep. So you're sleep deprived. So you're making bad decisions. Um, and, you know, and I think now he's going to have a good night's sleep. 
<laughs> he's he's going to have food. He's going to be warm and dry. And, you know, in a sense, there's probably some level of relief there. Uh, interesting. And uh, I've heard that before. And that makes sense to some extent in a couple of days when he's well rested and his headache goes away. He's probably going to hate it again because uh, he's going to be stuck in there like uh, like a, uh, you know, the fugitive that he is now cornered. Uh, Pam Hart Young, I'm late again. Don't worry. We were late today, Pam Hart, by a, by a bunch of minutes. So don't, don't worry about that. I've missed so many lives. Best guest across the board in true crime. It is not a tagline. You're not going to get three better guys than we just had on Alfredo. Uh Perez had to take off, but I came here basically because my daughter lives in Moscow, Idaho. I stay here because it's the best channel for true crime. Shout out to your daughter in Moscow, Idaho, uh, now the infamous home of the quadruple murders there. Great question here from Tennis Girl 101, a friend of the show. Scott Duffy, does Phil know that you are here? Uh, were you able to get a permit? Oh, we can't, we can't say anything. No, uh, no permission slip. Um, let us not forget that for the last two weeks, uh, there was terror being wreaked in this uh, corner of Pennsylvania. And um, a farmer was interviewed by the media today named Charles Lyman. Uh, he says that he believes that Danilo Cavalcante was on his farm twice during this escape. Uh, the farmer, Mr. Lyman, was checking regularly. He said he had a gun strapped to him, a firearm the entire time, and that his 83-year-old mother was there uh, living with him, and she was worried to death, and uh, she is now relieved. Um, at one point, he found a treehouse door open, and he locked that treehouse door, so he thought that maybe Cavacante was staying in there. What's interesting about this, Doug, back to you for a second, he said he had granola bars in the barn for his horses, and some of those granola bars were missing. Um, I got to say, that's pretty resourceful. Um, a kid from New Jersey, I would not have thought to eat um, horse granola bars, but he did. It probably helped him, right? Yeah, I mean, it's sustenance, right? Like um, My parents, they, they own a horse ranch, and yeah, if he knows anything about horse barns or I'm sure other and you know goats or cows or whatever but if he knows anything about those kind of stables he knows that there's going to be grain in there carrots whatever so it's a you know it's a, a source of food uh glad to help out uh ski hat sarah glad you were late joel i was late too always happy to help um Interesting question here, Scott Duffy. Very interesting question because I hadn't heard this either. Why was the public not made aware of his tattoos? We saw a big tattoo on his back uh, when he had his shirt off. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I didn't hear anything about tattoos. So um, there were a couple instances where he had shed his clothing. So probably would have been helpful to have put everything they knew of this guy. Hey, there's a big whatever that tattoo was that, uh, in the upper portion of his back. So that's a good question. Um, but at, uh, I think with, with regards to the last 14 days of, of everything that, um, the PSP and, and the marshal service was putting out, it was basically, um, stay indoors, lock your doors, keep your keys out of your cars. I think ultimately it was if he got, further out of both perimeters and kind of assimilated back into society where he might have been 
getting into convenience stores or whatever markets that um, they would have put been a little bit more detailed with regards to tattoos that would have helped identify them. But my my guess is that it was just something that was missed because, uh, hey, he's out there, he, he's in the woods, and if you see somebody in the woods doesn't belong, more than likely that's the guy. That's the only thing I could think of why that didn't get made public. Hmm. Uh, Doug, to you, and then I've got some bunch of questions. If you guys can uh, lend me another like 15 minutes, I just want to go through some rapid fire questions. If that's cool. But here from Patty Martin, uh, curious of your take on this, Doug. Uh, she says he's going to be a celebrity in prison for escaping and eluding capture and giving law enforcement a hard time for so long. Do you agree with that assessment? By the way, uh, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to have a couple of uh, former prisoners, inmates. We're going to come on and talk about this and Danny Masterson and Charlie Adelson uh, and uh, what it's going to be like for him to do life, especially this guy, Danilo Cavalcante. But what do you think? I think he'll have his five minutes of fame again in prison. And then the inmates are going to quickly remember that he brutally murdered a woman in front of two small children. And that's not going to go well for him. There you go. Uh, well said. No one hates uh, people that hurt children more than uh, prisoners, arguably. And they're, they're not going to like that side of it. But uh, maybe in the near term, who knows? Uh, from Elf, Joel, are you auctioning off the cardboard cutout of Carm? Um, sadly, I am not. Because as you can see here, disaster can strike at any moment. So I'm keeping the other studio uh for when the category five, God forbid, hurricane hits or something else. Um, and that is where cut out calm. Doug, if you don't know, that is my mother, uh, the namesake of the show. She is a Holocaust survivor. And uh, the other set has a cardboard cutout of my beautiful mother, but it is going to, uh, it's going to stay where it is. However, if you're coming to crime con, we had little miniature cardboard cutouts of calm and uh, those we can give away. Uh, once we are done, we can uh, have some sort of STS raffle uh, once CrimeCon is over, and we will do that. Uh, let me get into some of my starred comments here. Um, we went over some of these. Uh, this is interesting. Back to you, Doug, on this uh, from Heather N. Everyone was talking about this at the beginning of the chat. If those were rubber bands holding his braids together, his sister braided his hair. There's no way he also stole rubber bands in somebody's house. That's not necessarily true, but it does look like his hair was braided. Uh, maybe he had a lot of time uh, in between on his hands, and so he decided to braid his hair. Did you make anything of that one way or the other? No, I didn't really make anything of that. Um, I mean, I think I was like most people at one point with the – you know, the CCTV or the doorbell cam, whatever it was of him wearing a hood that he had shaved his head at one point. Um, but uh, no, I didn't, I, I didn't pick up on the fact that he had rubber bands in his hair. Mm. AJIG, Joel, question for the guys. And this is to you, Doug. How, how, why did the scent dogs not find him sooner if he was leaving behind his clothes with scent? I know there was rain in the area, but, um, how far can these dogs, you know, how, talk a little bit about the tracking process for, for these dogs. I mean, there's so many factors that go into scent tracking and it, it, the, the number one factor, right. 
in this search was probably just contamination. You know, you're trying to get, you're trying to get a dog to, so when I train my dogs to track and they got pretty good at it, um, you're, you're giving them a scent, right? So it could be an article of clothing. So I would give my dogs, let them smell a shirt and then they'd go track, you know, mile two, maybe three miles at most. Um, and, but there's, there's so many factors that can come into play there. So the, the movement of the offender can throw them off, right? So if it's uh, erratic movement, where in a case of a fugitive, it's going to be erratic because he's going to try and go this way and then he's going to get blocked and he's going to go that way and then back that way. And then, and he's going to go all over the place. He's going to try and evade them by going in water. Um, and then, and then you have all the contamination. So this dog isn't just in a forest with one scent of one human being, right? This, there's so many smells coming in from so many different people, um, at this time. So these, and, and, you know, weather can play a role in scent, you know, uh, light and dark, whether it's light or dark depends on whether the scents go up or down hills, for example. Um, you know, you, you, you search, you search uphill during light and downhill during dark. So there's just, these dogs are very good at what they do, but you know, the, the environment and the circumstances, uh, play a big role as well. Mm. Um, Scott Duffy, the tough questions for you. Uh, did he have a cavity search? Is that something that is SOP after you bring back a fugitive? I would say a fugitive of this type. Absolutely, there's a uh, cavity search. At what point that was conducted, I know they, they were pretty meticulous with, with cutting the clothing off. And then i um, not sure if the additional search would have taken place inside that uh, the Bearcat or, or later at the... Uh, at the department. So it's, um, it, it would have called for it. You know, there are, there are circumstances where you can't, um, but, but I would imagine in this, absolutely. So all, 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 everything was done in order to ensure there's nothing that can, uh, hurt law enforcement. So cavity search for sure. Uh, hope ate fear. Uh, Scott, you're such a humble soul. Thank you for being level-headed with a soul patch, ironically, but uh, there you go. Uh, and then a broad question here um, from H.K. Schubert, also a friend of the show. Question for Scott. What was the FBI's role? What was the FBI doing during all of these 14 days here? Do they have, they have tactical teams, but uh, what do you know about what they were doing? Yeah, I can tell you what, what I know, but also I think what what they lend to many of these type of searches. So they would first and foremost lend support. So we need more bodies. The Pennsylvania State Police says, hey, we've run out of our people and so forth. So the FBI is absolutely supplementing uh, boots on the ground. The uh, They're great in their uh, technical searches. So if there was anything to be tracked, uh, for example, if uh, um, a relative, if they got information that a relative gave, gave him something, you know, that they're going to provide assistance in that they're, uh, they're providing surveillances of different associates, relatives, friends. I mean, you're doing a whole analytical package, uh, of the suspect of this fugitive. And so thereby you want to know exactly everything and going, I would imagine utilizing the, uh, the resources of Doug and, and, and the like who are creating packages of 
the possibility of, of which direction he's going and who would he be um, trying to visit. So they're, that, that's what they're supporting and, and whatever else Pennsylvania State Police has. So if um, here the uh, Border Patrol uh, tactical team was, was utilized, then, then FBI tactical teams are going to stand down. So it's um, it's whatever's there is going to be offered by by the office and and whatever PSP needed they used. Mm. Jersey Devil sounding like a South Jersey person here. You, I grew up right smack in the middle, central New Jersey. Everyone to the north of me, Giants, Yankees, Mets fans. I was Giants and Yankees for those asking, and everyone in the south. Eagles, the Eagles, the Sixers, et cetera, et cetera. This guy, person, Jersey Devils, got a cute dog, by the way, got to live south of where I was. The Eagles hoodie pissed me off. How dare he wear an Eagles sweatshirt? I was so happy when they cut it off. Uh, Scott, was that an affront to you that he was wearing a, a dirtied up Eagles jersey? Yeah, and I, I, it was. And so I imagine also when the governors uh, put it out there that, hey, whoever is missing this jersey uh, will be more than happy to find one for you. I'm guessing that governor and his office is going to get more than just one phone call. You may have a lot of new requests for jersey. Um, so, yeah, of, of all the things he could take, right? I bet you at the next home Eagles game, there's going to be someone holding a cardboard cutout, not of Carmella, but of Danilo Cavacante wearing a Phil, uh, Eagles jersey. I, I guarantee it. I called it first. Um, Francis Rose Carmel, uh, Doug, I don't know if you'd know the answer to this, but does Yoda the dog and his handler get a medal, an acknowledgement? I certainly hope so. And hopefully all those who work to catch him do. Uh, do we know? if the dog will be rewarded. Um, oh, by the way, and then ketchup. This is interesting because that was just accolades, but there's also a $25,000 reward. Um, ketchup, friend of the show, asking who gets the reward, Yoda or the woman who reported uh, saw him crouching in the woods. But do you think he's going to get some sort of accolades? What does he get, uh, Doug? Does he get a special kind of uh, treat, a bone? What, is he, what does he want? <laughs> <laughs> whatever his thing is, you know, whether it's a tennis ball or whatever, but uh, I'm sure there's uh you know, I've, I've seen lots of uh, cases where, you know, the dog finds somebody and they give the dog a lot of publicity. I'm sure there's instances out there. They've given them, you know, they've given them medals of what, uh, or, or some kind of commendation as a, you know, as a publicity thing. Hmm. Uh, K the Geeky Angel uh, became a YouTube member. Shout out to that person. Uh, what township in New Jersey, Joel? I'm from Colts Neck in Monmouth County. That is a uh, Bruce Springsteen land. That's a nice part of the state. Um, sh- let me give my best friend in the world a free shout out. Gary Michaels Fine Jewelers in uh, Manalapan, New Jersey. Not very far at all from Danielle Malley. Uh, I am from Middlesex County, as is the great Michael Littman, one of my best friends. Are you going to auction Scott off for a dinner date? 100%, but first I need a written permission slip from his wife. Uh, Doug, what do you do every day? I'm fascinated by these types of jobs. Uh, You seem like a very um, low-key guy, but potentially intense, as I am a 
son of a psychiatrist and social worker. I study human behavior. You seem uh, very meticulous, but what is a typical day like for you in terms of uh, the geo profiling that you do? Um, you know, most of my day is, uh, is in front of a computer. So I, um, I'm working right now. I have a heavy caseload, quite a few cases for law enforcement, um, a couple documentaries, uh, some missing persons cases for some nonprofits. Um, I have an intern that works with me. I have a partnership with Chatham University in Pennsylvania. And uh, so I have a a great intern that's working with me right now. Uh, But I, you know, I spend most of my day in front of my computer and you know, although I'm a geographic profiler, I have a, uh, I'm very well averse in OSINT and GEOINT. So OSINT is open source intelligence and GEOINT is geospatial intelligence. Uh, obviously they complement one another. Uh, I do a lot of OSINT and GEOINT projects as well. I'm kind of, I don't advertise those services, but I'm kind of a, a name that gets passed around if you need to find somebody, um, to big media, um, and to, uh, authors, that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, most of my day is in front of a a computer, either doing OSINT side of it, doing the research or, you know, doing the mapping side of it and the, and the behavioral analysis. Uh, No bigger media than uh, STS. as we go on 20 something minutes late for the show, I hope that you will come back and I'll wrap this in just a second. Seamus Cascella says, go birds. Next game is tomorrow night. A copper horse here. This is a shout out to my children who say that uh, if you hit the like button, it gets the algorithm chugging. Used to say turn the open, but please do. It does help. And, uh, so easy all you have to do is hit the like button it's not like i'm asking you to go on a dinner date with scott duffy where he could be uh high maintenance and give you a hard time scott duffy uh, my final question before we get final thoughts are you stunned in a way that no one really got hurt in this entire 14 day manhunt uh no one shot no one killed uh no one run over by a fast moving uh law enforcement vehicle just uh, a bite to Danilo Cavacante. Are you a little surprised by that? Yeah, I am a little surprised and extremely happy. And I know there was a lot of this, a lot of praying, especially um, from all the officials that the, and the higher ups, you know, they don't, they, there's nothing, nothing worse than of all this happening that uh, a member of the community get hurt. Right. And law enforcement puts their lives on the line. And uh, th- th- just working feverishly. So I, I was uh, happily but surprised that there wasn't a mishap somewhere. You know, when you, when, when you have a sighting, you have sirens and police cars rushing from all different angles. And um, it's one thing when you're when you have your sirens and your lights and you're coming into an intersection and you're you're looking both ways and everybody else is stopping. But when everybody is in that intersection, have lights and sirens, who's stopping first? It's uh, there could be a lot of chaos going on. So, yeah, I'm I am happily surprised, thankful, very much so. But it's uh, it, there could have been some some uh, some injuries of things outside of from a lot of things that take place with this. What a beautiful dog. There's a shot, by the way. Someone uh, said that uh, Doug is chill. I would have to agree with that human behavior assessment. Uh, Can you tell from this photo, Doug, if uh, Yoda is a Belgian Malinois or a German Shepherd? Looks like a Shepherd to me, but 
what do I know? <laughs> I have, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, if I, I would say a shepherd, if I saw him, but yeah, All right. we're, in, we're in the same boat there. Love that. Um, huge shout out to Alfredo Perez coming to us from the new U S Marshall, uh, museum in Arkansas. Everyone better go, uh, take a road trip down there. Uh, he is a former U.S. Deputy Marshal out of Houston, recently retired. That's why he looks so relaxed. And he works, most importantly, with our good friend Phil Waters, who's coming on an hour early this Friday uh, to uh, do Great Scott at your true crime, Phil, with the great Scott Duffy. Uh, Doug McGregor, he is a forensic behavioral analyst and consultant uh, specializing in geographic profiling and linkage analysis for violent crime and missing persons. Uh, He has a master's of science from Missouri State University and resides in Ottawa, Canada. You can hear that funny Canadian accent a little bit. He lives there with his wife, two children, three dogs. And as you can tell, he is a chill individual. Um, Anything we can plug for you today, Doug, and your final thoughts on this uh, great day where they captured Danello. No, I, I appreciate the, uh, the intro and the closing. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, like they can find me on, I guess it's called X now, uh, at the geo profiler. And if, uh, if there's any cases that, uh, you want me to look into, you know, I do a lot of all my work for families is pro bono. Um, I do a lot of, uh, cases for families for missing persons and to, uh, you know, finding, missing persons presumed deceased. So you can reach out to me and uh, my email is also on my X profile. There you go. X profile. It's the geo profiler. Is that right on X? Correct. Yeah. And X would be Twitter. Um, Elon Musk trolling us all with a different name every week, but I kind of like X it's grown on us. It's kind of like a new set a new software minus the software. Cause it's still a disaster, but shocking at first. And then it grows on you. Um, Scott Duffy, what can I say about him? He is uh, the director of Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute. He is a retired FBI supervisory special agent. He did it all. Bank robberies, fugitive task force, which came in handy the last few days. You name it. He's done it. He was also a police officer in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania for five and a half years. The guy's got experience. Um, Scott Duffy. Your final thoughts on this uh, monumental day where this manhunt came to an end? Can't say it enough. The uh, the men and women and the many four-legged, badged, beautiful creatures out there doing the job. Fantastic kudos. Hats off to them. Um, I felt the chills, the goosebumps, everything once I heard. And I, it just uh, takes you back to every other successful conclusion of these very harrowing um, experiences. So kudos to the Pennsylvania State Police. Kudos to everybody that helped them, supported them, and um, may the residents and everybody else get some sleep. Uh, By the way, that man wearing the giant sweatshirt, which I love, although they are terrible this year and looked horrendous, uh, that is the shaming of Jay. And I'm going to be on his podcast uh, in an hour and 15 minutes or so, he thinks I'll probably be 30 minutes late, uh, but I'm going to stick with the old fashioned. Uh, you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny, Scott Duffy and Doug McGregor. My mother has been screaming. My 84 year old mother's been screaming, don't change the software. Keep it simple. Change the software issues. She's going to rub it in tonight. Going to yell at me some more. I got to 
got to deal with it though. Got to put on a brave face. Um, very important story tomorrow night for everyone who is still remaining here. Uh, Ellen Greenberg, we've been doing her story out of Philadelphia, 27 year old teacher. She was stabbed 20 times. 10 of them were to the back of her neck and head. Two of them were postmortem, meaning she was already dead. It was ruled a suicide. Well, this happened in 2011. All these years later, her parents, Josh and Sandy Greenberg, have been fighting to get the ruling changed to homicide. And guess what? They were just denied uh, by a judge, that ruling. So uh, there is uh, no end in sight for them. It is a horrific end. We'll talk about a good ending here. Horrible ending for the Greenbergs. We really need SDS Nation support tomorrow night. Please come on. Josh and Sandy, the parents of Ellen Greenberg, will be on, along with Guy D'Andrea, who was uh, a homicide prosecutor uh, in the DA's office, and Gavin Fish, who's an investigative reporter that's been all over this. Very important story. Uh, th they should not be getting away with this. Uh, this is awful. There's a killer out there, in my belief, and that killer needs to be brought to justice. Please support us tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and as you always do, support us an hour earlier, 4 p.m. Eastern time for Great Scott, your true crime Phil, this Friday. Until then, love you, America. Sorry about the late tardiness issue. Love you, Canada, Ottawa, Delaware, Philadelphia, the Republic of Ireland, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and I'm sure I'm missing a few countries. Until next time. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.